Press means to apply force. When God said press, prayer reaches every single situation. He gave us permission to apply force to every situation that we will go through. And in this podcast, we are going to learn to apply force to what's applying pressure to us. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Press Podcast. I am so glad that you are here with us today. We are going to dive right in. We're talking about judgment today, how to pray in judgment. This is going to be a hot one. If you've not been on this prayer journey with us, I challenge you to go back and listen to the previous podcast. You'll find out that they kind of work together. We've been studying the different prayers of the Bible and learning how to talk to God using the pattern established in the book he left us to get to know him. So we're taking this prayer journey together, and today's prayer is found in Exodus, the 32nd chapter, and we are looking at Moses again. I have stated before in previous podcasts how much I love looking at Moses because we find so much information about him and his character, the way he thinks, and his interaction with God and how God responded to him. As I mentioned, Exodus 32, we're looking at judgment. Because what's happening in Exodus 32 is that in the previous chapters, Moses has been talking to God in the mountain. He's been communing with God. He's been getting the laws from God. He's been getting direction for the people from God and setting order according to what the Lord has been giving him. While he is doing this, Exodus 32 states that the people saw that Moses delayed coming back. He'd been gone a little too long for their taste. And so they say to Aaron, Come on, let's make us some gods. And Aaron agrees and they use all their jewelry and whatnot to create this golden calf that they decide to worship and praise. Moses is still in the mountain when this happens, but God actually begins to tell him about it. He doesn't see it first. God is angry and begins to tell Moses, these people are stiff necked and they're just always doing stuff. I am paraphrasing, obviously. And He's telling Moses how angry he is in verse 7, Exodus 32, verse 7. The Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down, for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And this is where Moses begins to pray, because the Lord is mad. He's like, Moses, I will destroy them. Leave me now. Let's not talk about it. Get out of here before you see how ugly I can get. And I am going to have judgment and I'll just make a better nation out of you. There's a lot happening here. First of all, I know that some people don't like to think of God as a judge nowadays. We tend to have an image of God that says, oh, he's just loving everybody and he just wants us to be happy and it's all gumdrops and roses. But as you look at the Bible, the Bible actually records I believe it's Hebrews 13 and 8, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Another scripture, Malachi 3 and 6, actually says, For I am the Lord, I change not. He stays the same. So who he's been is who he will be. Even though he demonstrates his love and his mercy differently, he does not have to. His characteristics haven't changed just because his demonstration and patience 
seem to have evolved. He is not as quick to judge us in this time as he was in the Old Testament, but he is still a righteous judge. The Bible says in Psalms 7, 10 through 12, My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. God judgeth the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, he will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and made it ready. That shows the picture of a God who's ready to fight every day. But Micah 7.18 says, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. Mercy makes him happy. And I'm glad mercy makes him happy, because us just being us, he gets a lot of practice at being merciful. But we can't take his mercy for granted, because he has the right to be judged. A king has a right to reign in his own territory, and he is king, so he has a right to judge. God is still the judge, and he's being a judge in Exodus 32. He is not happy. He is not okay with anything competing with his godship. Now, when I read this story, they used a little g for gods, and they still said, we're going to go sacrifice to the Lord, all caps, meaning Jehovah, after they worship these little gods. What a mixed up ideal to think that you can have a smaller God or worship one thing and then come to God himself and offer sacrifices. He doesn't want to be second place. He's not competing for second place. He's not competing for runner up. He's not looking to share his territory, glory or authority with anyone, especially something he can make or conceive. He is God. And the Bible records in Exodus 34 that he is a jealous God which means he's an angry God. He's a God who refuses to have an equal. If he's your God, he will sit on the throne of your heart. If he's not your God, he will not share the throne of your heart. And this is where he finds himself and why he is angry with the children of Israel in Exodus 32. Mind you, he had done so many things for them. They had come out of Egypt, survived all 10 plagues, come across the Red Sea. And now, because the mouthpiece of God is gone a little longer than you're comfortable with, because God is a little more silent than you like, because you're not hearing from him or you don't think you can access him today, now you're looking for alternatives? God is angry. He doesn't want you to go looking for alternatives just because you think he's too quiet or he's too far away. But Moses begins to pray when he saw that the Lord was upset. The Bible says that he besought the Lord, his God. Besought is an intense word because it talks about how he got weak before God. He got frail before God and he got frail before his face. It's actually two Strong's words that come together. Strong's concordance is a reference you'll hear me use as a dictionary to define words in the Bible. But one translation of that word besought is to become weak. He became weak in the presence of God. He became frail. He became sick. He wasn't excited about the prospect of, oh, he'll make a nation out of me. That is not exciting to him. He needed the people to be okay. He had compassion and love towards the children of Israel. And he begins to intercede for them. The word intercede is only in the Bible 10 times, but we see it carried out more often than that. And this is one of those times where he is interceding. This is a prayer of intercession in God's judgment, where he's saying to God, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people? 
which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and said unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Bible says, And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. The Lord turned. Moses, because of his relationship with God, was able to advocate for the people. He was able to ask God to have mercy. But he didn't leave it at that. Moses actually walked down the mountain. This is the prayer he prayed before he saw what happened. Sometimes it is easier to pray without the details of what's happening. You know, when you hear about it, your mind puts it in a frame that it can process. That's why sometimes it's easier, I think, to pray for other people because you're not dealing with the details of their situation. You're dealing with the concept of the situation. So you say, oh, well, that's a tragic situation. I know they're hurting. I will pray for them. And you're able to pray effectively because you're not in the details of the tragedy. But sometimes when you get caught in the details of what's happening, your stance and your ability to pray gets a little bit harder because now you're working through the complexities of what you're requesting in your mind. Moses, after he sees what the children of Israel have done, is so upset, in fact, that these tablets Moses was carrying down, they mounted back to the camp. And the Bible says that he was so angry that as he got closer, he cast the tablets out of his hands and break them beneath the mount. He threw them down and destroyed them because he hears them dancing. He hears them shouting. And Joshua is like on their way down. He's like, what is that sound? It's, it's not the noise of war I hear. It's not somebody being overcome. What, what is that sound? And the sound was them worshiping and celebrating to this false god. And when Moses sees it, he is angry. He is so angry, he breaks the tablets. He's so angry that he asks the camp who is on the Lord's side. Only the tribe of Levi stands up and says, we will be on the Lord's side. When they do, he commands them, hey, we're going to kill everybody at this party. Now, I know that's not popular nowadays, but like I said, judgment is judgment. And God has the right to make decisions in his own kingdom. And this is the way he handled sin or permitted sin to be handled during that time. He allowed Moses and the children of Levi to get the sin out of the camp. Rather than focusing on his judgment, it would be prudent to look at the fact that God hates sin so much. You can die for it. He died so that you would have a choice not to sin. But he will let sin cause death. The payment for sin, even in the New Testament, is still death. The wages of sin are death. As we look at the scriptures and we see Moses taking vengeance, cleansing the camp. He's cleansing it. When they're done and the next day come, Moses tells everybody to consecrate. And he says, I will go back and talk to the Lord. So Moses in verse 31, he returns to the Lord and he said, oh, this people have sinned a great sin. And have made gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. It looks like Moses kind of gets cut off here. Lord, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, just get rid of me too. Just take my name out of your book. Forget about me too. 
And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever have sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Therefore now go, lead the people into the place which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. In this prayer, I found it kind of interesting because Moses is definitely advocating for the children of Israel, but he's doing it again. And I believe he's doing it again because the Lord had already repented in Exodus 32, 14. He had turned from his wrath. But when Moses saw it, he decided to fight as well and go back to the Lord again. The Lord has decided he's not going to destroy them. But he let Moses know, you're saying, hold this against you. And it feels like this prayer got cut off a little bit. Like God's like, no, I'm not doing that. You go back to work and I will visit their sin upon them when I do. The end. That is the response Moses gets. Once in this chapter, he's allowed to intercede. The second time, the Lord has already said what he's going to do or what he's not. But he's not hearing Moses' offer in this sense. And he's still expecting Moses to go back to work. What we learn in this chapter is how to talk to God in judgment. In Moses' prayer in verses 11 and 12 of chapter 32, he doesn't advocate as if they don't deserve judgment. He talks more so about the God who will get the glory if he doesn't judge them. Moses knew how to talk to God. He understood that God had a right to make a decision, so he didn't even attempt to go there. He appealed to the merciful nature of God. And in doing so, he was able to advocate for God to have mercy upon them. When you have nothing else to stand on in prayer because somebody deserves what they're going to get, you can talk to God about himself. You can talk to God about his nature. You can talk to God about his mercy. At our church, they were often told of a woman whose son was going to jail. And whatever the crime was, he had done it and he deserved time in prison. However, as his mother, she did not want him to go away for as long as they were threatening to put him away. And so she came to the pastor for prayer and the pastor asked her two questions. One, is he guilty? And two, how long do you feel he deserves? He often tells us that he knew because the Lord has shared with him whatever number she says, that's what her son is going to get. But he did not tell her that. He said, is he guilty? How much time does he deserve? There was 18 years on the table that they were threatening to put him away. But instead of 18 years, she asked that he get eight months because he was guilty. And when they went to court, the judge hit his gavel and he said, I sentence you to 18 years. And she said, Jesus. And he said, I mean eight months. You see, that to me is a picture of the type of mercy that God likes to have upon his people or for his people's sake. We can't say he did that for her son. I know nothing of her son except for he was guilty. But there was somebody standing in the middle in the gap for the son. In this instance, it was the mother. And she was able to say, God, have mercy. And it's in his nature to want to have mercy. He delights in mercy. We are facing a time in this world where judgment is impending. People are doing things that are so anti-scripture on so many platforms, in so many places, even in churches. And the judgment of God 
it's coming. But how judgment affects you, your house, your community even, really will hinge upon somebody being able to say, mercy, Lord. And sometimes that'll stop God. Sometimes it'll slow him. Sometimes it will delay him. Sometimes it may even cause him to just cancel his decision. But what we know is we are the mercy of God sent to earth at this time. We, when I say we, I'm speaking of saints. I'm speaking of people who know God and know how to call upon him. You are the mercy of God to this hour. And it is imperative that you use your voice to ask God to have mercy in judgment. Because I know we cannot handle the judgment of God, nor can we argue with it. If God decides he's going to judge and he decides not to hear us, there is nothing we can do. But today, he is still allowing us the opportunity to call upon him. And it's a good day to say, God, have mercy. And not just say, God, have mercy. But even as Moses did it, he became weak. He was begging God. He became frail. He even became sick, that word means. He took this thing so to heart that if God will hear me, people will live. But if not, people will die. And in that kind of intense prayer, you don't just say, well, okay, Lord, help him. No, you carry it to God as if it was your own child, your own sister, your own brother, your own community, your own world. Pray for them. Raise your voice. Ask God for mercy in judgment because we need his mercy in this hour. And remember, no matter what, prayer still reaches every single situation. Join the movement, join the community, like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Visit us at PressToPray.com or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Did you know that when you are quiet, your voice is missing to God's ears? I know some of us have prayed and we're wondering, how long should I pray about this? Why should I pray if God already knows? How will I know God is answering? And what do I do when I feel like God's not listening? But God is listening for your voice. It's too quiet in this world for the troubles we have. You have to raise your voice and God wants to hear from you. It's Too Quiet, a book about prayer, is designed to answer your prayer questions and build your faith. Visit PressToPray.com.